From Relativity and our Relativity One partners, this is Uncivil Procedure, the e-discovery podcast. Hi, I'm Anna Srunian, Program Manager on the Event Marketing Team, and here is your host, Relativity Discovery Council and Legal Education Director, David Horrigan. Thank you, as always, Ms. Sarunian. And this episode of Uncivil Procedure, the e-discovery podcast, our topic is going to be technology and the law, specifically technology-assisted review. And of course, we have the high honor and privilege of having someone I've called on more than one occasion, the Grand Poobah of Technology-Assisted Review, as our guest today. But we're going to get a little bit more into the weeds than that. We'll be talking about Scooby-Doo, lobsters, bees and a veritable cornucopia of Kardashians. But first, a word from this episode's sponsor, Relativity One partner, MCS. Ms. Ronian? Support for this episode of Uncivil Procedure is brought to you by the MCS Group. For more than three decades, MCS has served law firms, corporations, government agencies, and educational institutions with cutting-edge technology and a breadth of services. We promise our clients the highest level of excellence in everything we do. Experience MCS and experience excellence. Thank you, Ms. Rooney. And of course, if I have not given it away, our guest this week is none other than the Honorable Andrew J. Peck, retired United States Magistrate Judge from the Southern District of New York and Senior Counsel at the international law firm DLA Piper. Judge Peck, welcome to Uncivil Procedure. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, sir. And, you know, obviously, I fictitiously called you the Grand Poobah of Technology Assisted Review, but you sort of are. <laughs> I was going to say, why is that fiction? <laughs> uh, I mean, I did have the first case, despite uh, one of my friends who claims the case he was a lawyer in came first, but he was wrong. We won't say who uh, that person is. Um, but um, Blasphemy, in my yes, opinion. Uh, but the Silver Moore against Publicis was the first case anywhere in the world recognizing the ability to use technology-assisted review, a.k.a. TAR, a.k.a. predictive coding, uh, in the appropriate cases. You know, Judge, during today's program, we're going to get into some of your other jurisprudence because you've certainly done more than De Silva Moore. I mean, it's everything from beehives to anti-monopoly. But uh, before we get into the jurisprudence of the Honorable Andrew J. Peck, uh, let's introduce, as always, the fun-filled panel of Relativitians that make uncivil procedure possible. First, Constantine Pappas, Esquire, Manager, Relativity Solutions. Constantine, do you have anything special happening today? So today is my daughter Sophia's 12th birthday. Up until yesterday, my kids were 7 and 11. So last night, I got this idea at like 8 o'clock to drag them out to a 7-Eleven and take their picture on the last day that that would be applicable. And it's on Instagram. I don't have maybe as many followers as, as my, my colleague Julie does. But for those that do follow me on Instagram, you can see the picture. Happy birthday, Sophia. I did like that picture, by the way. It's a good picture. She did hit like on it. I, I can uh, verify that. And we've all enjoyed a tender, poignant, transitional moment for the Pappas family. Moving on to Daniel Pelk, Industry Marketing Manager here at Relativity. Uh, that is, of course, Daniel Pelk, Esquire. Sure. Um, Dan, you've got a fun fact involving a Major League Baseball team that may or may not have fallen on hard times. I do, actually. Um, I've been married now since 1995. Uh, grew up in Milwaukee, Brewers fan. So, Boo. Uh, 
I know. Bring it up. Oh, Cubbies. Having a tough time. So, Paul Molitor, hero to Milwaukeeans everywhere. Constantine, my fellow countryman, agrees with me. Third base. That's right. He is now the uh, the coach for the Minnesota Twins, but at the time was playing for the Toronto Blue Jays. So my wedding party being half Milwaukeeans, Paul Molitor was walking around the hotel that, that my wedding was held at. And they pulled him inside and sat with him for a couple of hours talking about baseball. And no one had the courtesy to come find me. <laughs> so I missed... I missed the whole thing. I would have loved that opportunity, but yeah, Paul Molitor, I can't say he crashed. He was crashed into my wedding. I mean, that is supposed to be the happiest day of your life. It was, but it would have been a little <laughs> happier had I been and able to talk to Paul Molitor about baseball. Oh, come on, look at the bright side. You didn't miss Carl Ustremski or Big Poppy or real players for a real team. It wasn't Gorman Thomas. Oh, what, what team are we talking about there, Mr. Harrigan? Well, Your Honor, that would be a team to the north of your favorite team, yes, sir. Yes, indeed. We are wading into treacherous water. <laughs> we are, because I'm not even going to mention that the Red Sox are seven and a half games up on the Yankees right now. But Julie Huner, let's change subjects. <laughs> Julie Huner, Esquire, Customer Success Manager at Relativity. You must also have a fun fact for the day. You know, I usually don't because I'm not a very fun person. But I did, as I was sitting here, think of a very good fun fact. A number of years ago... Uh, I came in third place in a radio commercial contest for singing a very bad version of a Destiny's Child song. Wow. Yeah. I'd if only we had microphones to, to I know, and if it. only that was at a time when everyone had these things available easily for blackmail, because I don't have a copy of it, and I doubt you'll ever be able to find well, it. Well, I'm thinking but if you could sing for us could. now, we'd... Uh, <laughs> Right. Oh, we have the microphones. Under pain of contempt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Julie, thank you for having the funnest fun fact of this hour. Ooh, that's never happened to me before. <laughs> that's your fun fact for next week. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, you know, as I mentioned before, we're going to get into some of the lighter and more weighty moments of the jurisprudence of the Honorable Andrew J. Peck. And, you know, we talked about bees. Of course, Your Honor, that's a reference to Fisher v. Forrest, which was one of your multiple wake-up calls to the bar. But, um, you know, what's the case about? What are the bees doing in your courtroom, sir? All right. Uh, in, in Fisher versus Forrest, you know, you would not think that issues about beekeepers would necessarily be in a court in New York City. But the uh, plaintiff made a product that allegedly uh, was great for beekeepers to use to, uh, what do I know about beekeeping? It was some product. And the mom and pop company that had been his uh, licensee and was selling his product said that uh, they dis well it was agreed they discontinued why was somewhat disputed um, but the gist of it was they started selling their own product and he claimed that some of the expressions they used to describe their product were the very same expressions that he had a copyright, a trademark, and all sorts of other alleged intellectual property rights in, uh, including that there was an abuse of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it was a case where, assuming the lawyers were getting paid, uh, more money, I'm sure, was spent on legal fees uh, between discovery and various motions to dismiss and for summary judgment, 
than the product deserved. Nevertheless, it allowed me to have one e-discovery decision or discovery decision, the more famous of the Fisher versus Forrest decisions, as well as two substantive decisions. First, on the motion to dismiss, uh, where some of the claims were knocked out, other claims survived, and then got knocked out on the summary judgment motion. Judge, on behalf of the bar and all of your colleagues on the bench, we'd like to say thank you for making the world safe for Rule 34, protecting us from boilerplate discovery, and of course, making the world safe for bees. But, you know, it's a real crisis right now because for some reason the bees are dying. They're not reproducing. And I'm sure you guys have heard about this. Yeah. I was actually at the Minnesota State Fair this weekend talking to a beekeeper about different plants that you can plant in your garden that will be uh, effective for, for bee environments. So I'm fully supportive of what he, what he told me was, uh, if the bees go extinct, we go extinct within four years. Four years? Four years. Hmm. Wow, oh. that's worse than climate change. I thought we at least had a decade or so. Apparently not. Now, now the other fact of wow. which I know David is aware, uh, I am a Sherlock Holmes fanatic and member of the Baker Street Irregulars. Uh, and uh, as those who read through to the Later, later stories, Holmes retired to the Sussex Downs where he was keeping bees. Mm -hmm. And we as Sherlockians, in response to the question, you know, Sherlock Holmes, fact or fiction, say yes, uh, and and also uh, claim that Holmes is alive and well using the uh, various derivatives of bee honey uh, to keep himself alive at 160 something or wherever it is now, and he's living with his bees out in uh, England. Make for democracy, bees, and all of us. Um, But Judge, you know, to well delve back into somewhat uh, dicey waters, perhaps, um, the evil empire in the Bronx, otherwise known as the New York Yankees. Mm. Otherwise Um, known as the 27-time world champions. Yes. I think I should have switched seats. I'm a Dodger fan, and a lot of those uh, championships were over the Brooklyn Dodgers. That is true. Sitting this close to a Yankee fan is making me uncomfortable. (laughs) But uh, there's a fun story about your first appearance at Relativity Fest. Uh, We've been honored to have you. This year will be the fifth annual judicial panel. But for your first one, the Yankees were in the playoffs. Did You weren't going to miss Relativity Fest, were you? Well, my, my <laughs> usual comment to people who ask me to speak at conferences in October is I'm happy to do it if it's the right conference, such as Relativity Fest. But if the Yankees are in the playoffs of the World Series and it happens to be a home game and I have tickets, you're going to have to get someone else to replace me. <laughs> Couldn't we have lured you with some great Chicago deep dish pizza as opposed to the flimsy stuff you get in Manhattan? You mean the real pizza of New York? Uh, That's one way of defining it, sir. Yes. Not when it comes to the Yankees. Um, Save me colleagues here. I mean, (laughs) you're on your own. I mean, I have to say I actually prefer the other kind of Chicago pizza, the very thin uh, pizza. The cracker crust? Yeah, I like that better than the, the deep dish. Chicago style. actually has many different kinds of yeah. pizzas, and deep dish is the one that it's best known for, but I don't think that's necessarily the case uh, that, that we would self-identify with just that. I tend to find the Chicago one to be the, the superior. I'm sorry. Sorry, Judge. 
What can I say? No accounting for taste. So he's wrong about two things now, right? Baseball and pizza? Uh, Miss Rooney, and it would appear it's time for you to break the tie here. New York or Chicago pizza? Um, I gotta say the best pizza I've ever had has been in Chicago, so... What, where was it? Michael's. Michael's is good. In Buena Park. Very good. It's the I've best pizza. I've never heard of it. No, neither oh. have I. You guys gotta go. I'll yeah. bring you. Let's go. Let's All go. Right. Yeah, let's go. Right we'll do right. We're done here. Cut. Great. <laughs> this has been Uncivil Procedure. <laughs> <laughs> but, Councilor Pappas, we can't possibly end this episode without a discussion of technology-assisted review. We are going to bring it back to our topic, listeners. Oh, if um, we must. Yes. Uh, sorry. Um, but it's how the black box theory of technology-assisted review, the mystery of what's inside, could relate to a mystery machine, perhaps. What about Scooby-Doo? Judge, I know you've heard litigants argue back and forth about the black box of technology-assisted review. We don't know what science goes in there. But what about Scooby-Doo? Scooby-Doo, Shaggy, and the crew solved many, many mysteries. Couldn't the mystery machine solve all the problems of America? I am sure that uh, every airplane passenger except for one or two has no clue how you get such a heavy machine to get up into the air and, in most cases, land where it's supposed to after flying. Uh, I don't know how an airplane works, a jet works, but it works. And I'm not going to take a horse and buggy or a car or even a train uh, to get from New York to Chicago or vice versa, even if my plane may get grounded by the weather today. <laughs> oh, uh, so... It works, and as long as one does enough quality control, uh, you know, it's not technology-assisted review or any other uh, use of computer analytics in the discovery process. It's not just, you know, a miracle machine. It's a combination of people, process, and technology. Quality assurance, quality control at the end is an important part of that process, and as long as, whether it's a random sample or, you know, however one is going to do it, as long as the so-called discard pile, the non-relevant documents are sampled and nothing much is found, certainly no smoking gun documents, maybe, uh, you know, some marginally relevant repetitive documents from what has been produced, then the process works. Indeed, indeed. And what we've got now, of course, Your Honor, and panelist, and Ms. Sarunian, is our first game of this episode. It's time to play Stump the Panel. And who would like to take question number one? Could it be, oh, I don't know, Constantine Pappas Esquire? I would be delighted. Why, thank you, sir. Developed first as part of a decentralized payment system, this technology has also found applications in smart contract development and giving users more control over their digital identities. What might it be? I'm ready for my first hint. Your first hint. <laughs> it all started with a single Bitcoin. Oh, I'm terrible with Bitcoin. I'm ready for my second hint. <laughs> Your second hint would be before the Pappas children were ages 7 and 11, oh. they were ages, uh, let's do the math, they were 
Mrs. Pappas is going to be mad that you don't remember your child's ages and the differential between their ages. Well, they're f four years. So four four years. What I I don't know if I'm familiar with this. Well, yeah. So the answer. kids, the Pappas kids are younger. Okay. And they're playing with blocks. Well, blockchain. My my children were building complex machines and <laughs> <laughs> cooking Doing gourmet meals in the kitchen. stamps, okay. <laughs> Yes, well, blockchain was first created as a digital ledger technology and is used largely in cryptocurrency applications. Uh, put as simply as possible, the technology allows digital information to be distributed but not copied. All right. That definition is from our friends at blockgeeks.com. Question number two. Who would like to take this one? Counselor Pelp, better yeah, up. Since I'm batting goose eggs so far, let's go for it. All right. In the United States, data security, law, and regulation can be a hodgepodge of often differing and sometimes conflicting state laws, state rules, and federal regulations. So there's a good mix of laws from sea to shining sea across the amber waves of grain. As of September 1st, which state became one of the strictest in the nation on the issue of cybersecurity? David, would that be the state of Colorado? Whoa! Wow. He did not even need a hint. One. I got one right so far. Wow. So, yeah. Impressive. impressive. Um, and I am surprised that Judge Peck is not chiming in in defense of the state of New York, where they have buttoned down the regulation on that as well. But we said one of, and Danny Pelk knocked it out of the park. I don't want to follow that. <laughs> We're only doing two this time, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, um, no. Daniel Pelk Esquire is correct. The new law requires entities that identify a breach to notify all affected Colorado residents within 30 days of discovery. Um, hey, mm. at least it's not the 72 hours our European friends seem to like. Absolutely. All right, Julie Huner, there's been enough delay here. Ooh, I'm feeling the pressure. It is time for the big moment. Question number it. three. In a case in a court that Judge Peck knows very, very well, the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York, an artist studio and a software company are clashing over depictions of artwork in the video game NBA 2K. What kind of art is it? Oh, man. I, I don't know video games after NBA Jam. I think I'm going to have to take a hint on this. The hint is, technically, it's only skin deep. I think his honor's I got it. I'm reacting yeah. to this except for me. Now, would you like to phone a friend and ask Judge Peck for a clue? <laughs> I would love to phone a friend on this. Um, do we actually, should we actually get on the phone? <laughs> I think we can pretend. Just okay. hold your okay, fingers well, up to your mouth and ear. Uh, we're, yes. we're pretending. Uh, now, how to do this as a hint. And not give it away. Um, That's and the... not give it away. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> um, Johnny Lee Miller on Elementary has some attributes that we do not find on the real Sherlock Holmes. Okay, I'm going to take a guess. Is it tattoos? That was a stupendous hint, sir. That was a pop culture reference I actually got. <laughs> <laughs> and I got the blocks thing, so... <laughs> Yes, Forbes reported recently on a story that's calling into question whether body art can be depicted in games, film, and other media without violating copyright. Do such cases fall under fair use or de minimis use? Or do they simply blow past them? 
Well done, all three of you. Congratulations. I deserve nothing. <laughs> and now, Ms. Sarunian, I think it's time for another word from our sponsor. Support for this episode of Uncivil Procedure is brought to you by the MCS Group. With decades of experience in the legal industry, the MCS team delivers a depth of knowledge backed by leading e-discovery technology. Let us help you lower costs, manage information, and better prepare your teams to compete and win. Thank you, Ms. Sarunian. And of course, thanks to our Relativity One partners, our sponsors for this episode, MCS. Now it's time for our next game, entitled You Be the Judge. You Be the Judge. Our panelists are going to make arguments, and of course, we have the Honorable Andrew J. Peck here to rule on whether or not these cases have merit, are merely frivolous, and whether he's going to throw them out of our broadcast studio here in Chicago, Illinois, 60604. First, why don't we start off with Daniel Pelk. So this is an interesting case. I actually spent some time talking about this with my wife last night because it's not often that I get to present in front of a federal judge. This regards my son, 17 years old, huge gamer. He loves to sit in his room. He plays with guys from his high school. They play all the time. My wife and I say to him, you've got to get out. You've got to start seeing people face to face. He says, I am. This is what we do. The question is, is the online game world social or not social? And is it sufficient for human contact? It is social when one is playing with people you actually know, Mm -hmm. but it is not the same as face-to-face interaction. You know, like when I was a kid and we would go out and play ball in the schoolyard with our friends or whoever happened to be there. To me, that is social activity. Just like having however many, you know, thousands, hundreds, tens of friends on social media They're not friends. They're people who have, you know, friended you on Facebook or whatever. They're not friends. Judge Peck is cheating because the Florida First District Court of Appeals actually held that Facebook friends are not real friends. Oh, my goodness. When deciding whether or not judges could be your friends on Facebook, whether judges could be friends with litigants. It's a house of cards for you. This is, I'm going to delete my account right now. (laughs) Well, on behalf of my wife, we'd like to say to Benjamin J. Pelk, get outside and go see a movie. <laughs> That's not sure we go see a movie friends? is quite Why interaction. We we're, not, we're, we're taking small steps Baby to steps. get there. Okay. The ruling has been issued by the Honorable Andrew J. Peck. This is like the people's court. This is too much fun. <laughs> now we're moving on to Counselor Constantine Pappas, approaching the bench to make his argument. Did you yell at any kids recently? Oh, that would have been a great thing. No. Uh, <laughs> although I do kind of have a little bit of an epilogue to the to the beach story, but oh, we can come back to that another back. time. Uh, okay, Judge Peck. So uh, a week from Saturday, I am hosting a birthday party for my wife who is hitting a milestone birthday. 29 again. <laughs> she's 13, I'm going to tell you. Um, and she's got so, two kids who were 7 and 11. At least they were yesterday. <laughs> no. So she's turning 50. And so I, uh, I'm planning all these uh, party things. And so I ordered. It hasn't arrived yet. I didn't want to do a tiara because that's uncomfortable to wear physically. You wear them a lot, so you know that. So, <laughs> well, just uh, special occasions. So uh, instead, I ordered a sash 
that says 50 and fabulous. And I said, I told her I ordered it to give her fair warning. She said, well, you can order whatever you like, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to wear it. And so I would like an order based on uh, uh, equitable estoppel grounds. Oh, that I'm not getting technical, <laughs> Counselor Pappas. But there is a, there's an aspect of detrimental reliance. I have paid consideration for this item, and I expect to see it used. We now approach you, sir, the Honorable Andrew J. Peck. You be the judge. Well, first of all, it sounded like you told her about it after you ordered it, but oh. before it was delivered. Whoa. Therefore, this is what I call real e-discovery. No <laughs> detrimental reliance. And after that, I'm not a fool. I don't get paid like Judge Judy. I'm not getting into matrimonials. You're on your own, and she's on her own after wow. that. Wow. So we know our first abstention from the Honorable Andrew J. Peck. No order given. <laughs> And now, I'm sorry, Constantine. At least it it's was right. just an abstention and not a complete rejection was, and holding you in contempt. It was a fool's hope. Did you, I was say, did you really think you were going to win that? <laughs> I think she's going to wear it. I, I, I think it... Uh, but I was, in fairness, I was sort of given... I wouldn't say carte blanche, but carte, like, mother of pearl <laughs> <laughs> to plan the party. So that this falls within, under the... The, the penumbras of, of whatever mm, my duties. yes, whatever my authority is for the planning. I have an important follow-up question. Have you already reached an important milestone, or will there be opportunity for her to get revenge? Mm. Uh, I am. You can. You can I am younger, <laughs> so I have I have a way to go before okay. I hit that. So milestone. just remember that, right? Hopefully, she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> yeah, <really. laughs> she doesn't care about what I do. <laughs> Keep hope alive for appellate review. And now, Counselor Julie Huner, it is time for your turn at bat on you be the judge. So please approach the bench and make your case to the Honorable Andrew J. Peck. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, if it please the podcast, <laughs> I would like to, uh, to pitch my case here. Uh, so I recently moved about a month ago. And as part of that move, I moved into a high-rise building that uh, they have an elevator and they require an elevator deposit. Uh, the elevator deposit, you, you sign over the check and then you also sign a piece of paper that says if there's any damage, it comes out of this deposit. So the move happened, um, but the, the crew was taking a little bit longer. And about 10 minutes before the elevator time was over, um, the, the front desk person let me know, hey, you've only got 10 minutes left. Somebody else is booked to have the elevator like right then. And she said, if you go over, it's gonna come out of your deposit. Now, this was not listed anywhere. Um, we ended up going about five minutes over. And the person who was moving afterwards said that it was okay. However, now they're saying that they still may, may be taking money out of the deposit. Um, my argument is that there was no actual harm. The, the second mover was able to move appropriately and, and they didn't uh, have any time issues. They were okay with it. Um, but the, their theory is that it should have been known that there was an elevator time, and if you exceed the elevator time, they will take money out of the deposit. So I'd like to have your ruling. Did you have a fixed time for the elevator? There was so, a fixed time, yes. Including an end time? Yes, there was. Nevertheless, oh. I... <laughs> here comes the hook. Here comes the hook, and uh, it, it, the hook is in your favor. That's why they don't allow real cases to go ex parte into court. <laughs> but hearing it from your point of view, if the other people said, it's okay, even though you're cutting into our time, we're good with it, 
seems to me there can't have been any economic loss to the building. Uh, and you have an argument of no fair warning. You had a time slot, which is in favor of the building, but nobody said there would be a penalty for exceeding it. So I'm coming down on your side. Oh, I yes. like this guy. <laughs> I changed my mind. Yankees are great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for participating. It's been a wonderful experience. I hope you have enjoyed your time before the bench of the Honorable Andrew J. Peck as much as we have. It was phenomenal. I got resolution. Thank yeah. you, Judge. I did not. <laughs> I'm feeling a sense of closure. It's okay. Constantine remains in purgatory, but we're going to have to move on to our next game. <laughs> that is, of course, Discover the Truth. Your Honor, you're going to get a little bit of jurisprudence that you may never have seen in your court before. It will be, of course, the jurisprudence of the Kardashians. Ms. Arunian, perhaps you'd like to explain to our listeners what is going to happen on this episode's Discover the Truth. All right, Judge Pack. So each of the panelists will tell you a story about a legal case having to do with America's favorite family, the Kardashians. Uh, two of these cases are real. One is made up. Uh, pick the panelist whose case is fake, and you will win some Relativity swag. All right. Well, the Kardashians, all I know is that they're famous for being famous, but to the That's extent right. they <laughs> have gotten into some legal troubles, let's try to figure out what's real and what's not. All right. All right. Excellent. And the first Kardashian counsel, Constantine Pappas. All right. Are you ready, sir? Yes, indeed. Okay, here we go. Founded in 1947, the Maine Lobster Festival is a venerable crustacean carnival of fun. But allegedly, lobsters aren't the only ones sustaining personal injuries at the annual celebration. Jonathan Kimberly, who also calls himself Jonathan Courtney, sued Kim Kardashian West Khloe Kardashian, Kris Jenner, and Ms. Kardashian West's erstwhile husband and NBA basketball player Chris Humphreys, seeking injunctive relief and alleging he feared imminent danger and bodily harm. Oh dear. Specifically, Mr. Kimberly alleged that while attending the Maine Lobster Festival, Ms. Kardashian assaulted him with a lobster, causing the lobster to bite him on the nose. To make matters worse, Mr. Kimberly alleged Miss Kardashian West attacked him with a frying pan filled with sea scallops and butter, and that Ms. Jenner instructed Khloe Kardashian to hit him on the head with the frying pan. Sounds like a classy event. According to Mr. Kimberly, the lobster incident was not the first time the Kardashian clan had torturously interfered with his happiness, or I'm sorry, uh, tortu tortuously. I can't say that word. I know what torts are. Not um, tortuously, like a, a turtle. Not, not slowly, <laughs> no. Tortuously. Uh, with his happiness. He alleged the Kardashians assaulted him on the Chattanooga Choo Choo in 2012. And adding insult to injury, so much of both already, Mr. Courtney alleged that when he immigrated from Norway, Ms. Kardashian West and Mr. Humphrey took his luggage and that Ms. Kardashian took his clothes so that she could wear them on her e-television network show, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Your Honor, there's a lot to digest there. Counselor Constantine Pappas has given you the Kardashians, the Maine Lobster Festival, and of course, sea scallops and butter, lobsters and frying pans in the face, and add the Chattanooga Choo Choo, and, well, some clothes stolen from a Norwegian suitcase. Why don't we move on to Counselor Daniel Pelk? 
with another story of Kardashian law. I don't know how I follow that up, but I'm going to try. Public figures often exercise and enforce their right of publicity against advertisers allegedly using their likenesses without permission, such as White v. Samsung Electronics America, where Wheel of Fortune co-host Vanna White sued Samsung over a robot in an ad made to look like Miss White. Of course, Kim Kardashian West seeks to protect the sanctity of her likeness, and in 2011, Miss Kardashian West sued the Gap over a commercial by Old Na the Old Navy subsidiary that featured a Kim Kardashian lookalike. Few cases have taken more public twists and turns than this one, not taking Miss Kardashian West's $20 million lawsuit lightly. The Gap sought to investigate Miss Kardashian West's claims of reputational harm by deposing ex-boyfriend, the New Orleans Saints running back Reggie Bush, who coincidentally began dating Miss Kardashian's body double from the Old Navy commercial. That is harsh. I know. <clears throat> Before the saga of the Kardashian, the running back, and the Gap doppelganger could play out, the parties quietly settled the matter with a private mediator, depriving the nation and the world of more important celebrity legal news. Judge Peck, the plot is getting thicker. We now have the NFL, the New Orleans Saints, Samsung, Vanna White, robots made to look like Vanna White, and of course, Kim Kardashian West. And with our final case, Counselor Julie Huner. I think this one is appropriate for me to read. The Kardashians are well known for their social media savvy. For instance, Kim Kardashian West has more Twitter, Twitter followers than anyone on the planet, with 58.7 million followers. Sorry, that's, Julie. That's terrible. That's 58.7 million more followers than I have. <laughs> In contrast, our host, David Horrigan, he's just bragging here, lags far behind with a mere 2,555 followers, which again is 2,555 more followers than I have. But Ms. Huner, let's tell our listeners out there that you and I both cherish each and every one of them. That's true, that's true. We care more than Kim does. <laughs> <laughs> Ms. Kardashian West is quite active on social media, averaging 16 tweets per day. With a following of that size, Kim's influence has been known to make or break products. In 2012, ABO Industries contracted with Kim Kardashian to help push their product, the Abdominizer. People, that's something how I would name something, by the way, the Abdominizer. Uh, the belly-busting product was a modern reinvention of the 1980s infomercial device designed to flatten and tone one's midsection. ABO contracted with Miss Kardashian to issue at least 100 tweets in support of its product over a one-year period. After six months, ABO believed Miss Kardashian had fallen far short of her goal and had, the company alleged, taken her tweeting talents to an abdominizer competitor, Abflexor Pro. ABO filed suit in federal district court alleging breach of contract and other Twitter torts. Twitter torts, that's a tongue twister. After protracted discovery, the parties settled out of court, just as Miss Kardashian West did with The Gap, with the use of a private mediator. Keeping those mediators yes. in business. Your Honor, I do not envy you. <clears throat> One of these fact patterns is fake, Unbelievably, two of them are real. Well, it seems to me, and maybe I'm being influenced by the fact that the right of publicity case and the abdominizer case both used private mediators, and I am very supportive of the use of private mediators, since that is one of the things that I am doing, being a mediator, <laughs> having now 
retired from the court where I was doing it for the parties as a settlement judge for free. So, while all of them have aspects that seem very hard to believe and perhaps made for ETV, um, the Gap doppelganger dating the running back I found a little hard to believe in that second hypothetical or second case. Nevertheless, the lobster case smells much too fishy, and so I'm going to go with that as the one that is false. Ms. Sarunian, you have the answer. You know, I would have thought that that was the false one too, but it's actually number three, Julie's case. You guys, this is a proud moment for me. <laughs> I was able to fool the judge. I also didn't know that mine was the made up one. <laughs> they all kind of sound made up. Yes, they do. Your Honor, against our better judgment, we've got one last game. <laughs> Podcast marketing overlord Sean Gaines insisted, so please blame Mr. Gaines. This one's called Tar Tar Binks. Ms. Sarunian, what has Judge Peck and our panelists gotten us into? All right, panelists. So Judge Peck is going to read one quote for each of you. You must determine whether the quote is from Judge Peck on the subject of technology-assisted review or from Star Wars character Jar Jar Binks on the subject of interstellar battle strategy. <laughs> no one wins anything, though, for this one. So We all <laughs> just, lose. Just do your best. <laughs> all right, Judge Peck. All right. No matter how careful you are in a discovery, some privileged document is bound to slip through, which is why I continue to say that failure to get a Rule 502D of the Federal Rules of Evidence order borders on malpractice. All right, Constantine. Judge Peck or Charge Our Bank? This is actually from a deleted scene from <laughs> Attack of the Clones. Yep. So it's like a kind of a deep cut. Yep. No, I, I'm going to say Judge Peck actually said this one. Am I correct? <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. He wins. Hey, you got something right. Oh, hooray. Blockchain. <laughs> All right, Judge Peck. All right. Weeza must put an end to unfortunate bang-bang conflict. Danny? <gasps> this sounds like something a mediator would say. Just say. <laughs> uh, this is a tough one. Um, I'm going to go with... I think I have to say Jar Jar Binks on this one. I, it, it could go either way for me. Well, it could have been me from the bench to certain lawyers fighting <laughs> instead of using rule one and being cooperative, but you are correct. I did not say this until the podcast. Uh, yeah, wouldn't the answer be both now, though? But don't you, yes. just said don't you want true. to use it now? Like you can use it in some... Too, too late for me as a judge to use it. Those days are over. <laughs> well, you be the judge. All right. And the next question to Julie. If another jurisdiction approves the use of tar in 2018, it will be Canada, Hong Kong, New Zealand, or Singapore. It's interesting. I think if Jar Jar Banks had been the one to say that, it probably wouldn't be listing those particular uh, countries. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it was Judge Peck. And it was. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Another victory for our panel. Beautiful. 
And of course, there's something else beautiful, and that's our Relativity One partners. Ms. Sarunian, is it time for another word from our sponsor, MCS? Support for this episode of Uncivil Procedure is brought to you by the MCS Group, a Relativity One certified partner. MCS recently helped a large manufacturer who needed a cloud e-discovery solution that satisfied specific security requirements with its integration with Microsoft Azure and proximity to Office 365 data, Relativity One checked every single box for the client. Let MCS help you lower costs, manage information, and better prepare your teams to ensure a defensible, efficient e-discovery process with Relativity One. Well, Judge Peck, you went out on a limb in our interview, and you said that uh, the next jurisdictions could be Canada, Hong Kong, New Zealand, or Singapore. Any other tar hot spots you think may be bubbling over now? No, I think those are still the ones. And I think, you know, the reason I said it is we started in the United States with my trilogy of cases, De Silver Moore, uh, Rio Tinto, and Hiles, and of course, many other cases in the U.S. which led me to say in Rio Tinto that I thought by now it was black letter law that if the responding party wanted to use predictive coding, uh, the courts would allow it. Uh, After that, uh, TAR has been approved in Ireland, uh, in the U.K. in two cases, uh, and in Australia. Uh, Indeed, in Australia, uh, it has been added into one of their practice notes, the equivalent of the federal rules of civil procedure uh, for part of Australia. So obviously, it seems to me that common law countries, the former uh, British uh, colonies, so to speak, are the logical places for uh, TAR to, to be extended to because they don't have discovery in the civil law countries or not discovery as we know it, you know, France, Germany, or anything like that. So if it is going to occur, it is going to be in one of those uh, countries, Canada, Hong Kong, New Zealand, or Singapore, or perhaps uh, India or any other country that has a common law descendant of the UK type of jurisdiction. I think we're finally at the point in today's broadcast where we have predictions. And so this episode's predictions, everyone, outside of eDiscovery, what will be the most popular application for technology-assisted review in 2028? Ms. Arunian, while our panelists and Judge Peck ponder this, do you care to make a guess? You make me go? <laughs> I don't get a chance to ponder. Not just no, but expletive no. Because Miss Cerunian runs this show. Right. Go back to Huner. I've got one. No pondering it's, um, for you. Predictive forecasting, because this is just a wish of mine. I really wish that they could actually apply some logic to predicting the weather. Oh, that's mine. Oh. I understand I that one too. Yeah, how in, since the beginning of time, they mostly haven't been able to improve that. They're still guessing a lot of time until, you know, you look at your app and it says sunny and you look out the window and it's raining. Like, I think it would just be so nice. You know, we met Tom Skilling the other week too. So like, I wish I could have been like, hey, Skills, like, what happened? You've been doing the weather for 50 years. Like, your job is like, 
Come on. You're on a nickname basis with them? The yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You, meet him, you meet him once. Is that with a Z? Skills? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's like, Saroon's, I don't know. <laughs> Saroon's, we're sticking with that one. Yeah. Ms. Saroonian is on the dustbin of history. Hey, Saroon's, what's up? You're not the first people to call me that. So. Really? Oh. Uh, and here you thought you were original, you plagiarizer. I, yeah, I've never been accused of being original. <laughs> oh. But uh, you can be original now with a great prediction about what's going to happen with Tarani Discovery in 2028. So here's the thing about assisted review. Um, the underlying technology is so pervasive already. So if we're calling it assisted re review, that is a very legal application of this technology, right? If we, Conceptual analytics exists all over the world, right? So you got you know Netflix or, or anything that's you know suggesting something. Amazon, people that bought this, you know, Spotify, whatever. So there's so many areas where this technology is being used. It's not assisted review, but it is employing some sort of conceptual analytics predictive engine. Um, but the stuff that I see, you know, a great application for that I'd like to see more of is, is things like solving crimes. Uh, I remember I was thinking about this on the way in. Like there is... I don't, for the young people, uh, Miami Vice was a show in the 80s that was very stylistic. But there was one where there were all these like um, carjackings going on, and they couldn't figure out who was doing it. And so they sat in this war room, very similar to where we're sitting right now, and they just kind of went through every single detail of the victims. You know, where did they get their hair done? Where did they, you know? And it turned out that they all had... Uh, their cars washed in the same place. Uh -huh. And it took them days and days and days of combing through all this data to find this one thread that, that all of the victims shared. And I think technology like this would be so great at finding those correlations so quickly. So I, I would love to see, going back to The Great Detective, it seems like something that Sherlock Holmes was really great at. It was like finding that, like, that thread that ran through all of the crimes. I think technology is the way to do that. Daniel Pelk, what's going to happen in your world in 2028? I have a, a personal reason for thinking about this. Um, first of all, I will admit, I don't know if something like this exists already, and I do have a history of inventing things that have already been invented, <laughs> such as the selfie stick, which I thought made a lot of sense when I came up with it until I found out there already was such a thing. Anyway, uh, I have several email boxes. One of them is my junk email box that I've had for years and years and years. It's an AOL. I'm not using it for anything else, but this thing just collects trash from everywhere. Now, somewhere in those thousands and thousands of unreviewed emails, there might be something important. What I would like to do is to be able to have some sort of analytical engine, some sort of, of application that would say, you know what, maybe you should read these five. The rest of it you can just throw out. There's a company I've heard of in Chicago. See, invented. It's, yeah, it's called Relativity. <laughs> Um, but it'll be on steroids by 2028. Mm -hmm. Just apply it to my AOL account. Your Honor. And, you and, and you can find out about all those wonderful, uh, you know, half-price sales or whatever that you would love <laughs> to take advantage of. Six months Unfortunately, ago. <laughs> yeah, they're long since gone. And all those offers for toner cartridges <laughs> and Nigerian princes. Your Honor, your prediction for TAR in 2028. Well, I'm going to cheat. Oh. And You're say, not on the bench, so now you're cheating? Yeah, nice. well, uh. I am going to say that in 2028, 
along with other great uses like weather forecasting, everybody is going to use tar for their discovery matters. Every single Every litigator. single litigator, every single case. And the reason is because Relativity and others are going to have come up in 10 years with something even better and everyone is going to say, I'm used to doing it the way I've always done it. I'm not going to the newest thing. So tar will be used tremendously when there is something better that should be used. And you've now spent another fun-filled portion of your day with Uncivil Procedure, the e-discovery podcast. Daniel Pelk, Constantine Pappas, Julie Huner, thank you as always for being with us. Miss Sarunian's going to thank the entire team who makes this show possible, along with our sponsors. But uh, on a personal note, Judge Peck, thank you for being here. It means a lot to all of us at Relativity. You're great company. Thanks for being part of Uncivil Procedure. Thank you. The show was a lot of fun. This is Social Steve Tanner reminding you to interact with us on social media via the hashtag Uncivil Procedure. Don't forget to follow Uncivil Procedure on Twitter and Instagram at UncivPropodcast. And until next time, stay uncivil, my friends. Thank you again for joining us on Uncivil Procedure. I'd like to thank our Relativian panelists, Constantine Pappas, Daniel Pelk, and Julie Huner for joining us again this week. Our guest was retired U.S. Magistrate Judge Andrew Peck. Our host was David Horrigan. Our sponsor was MCS. And thank you to a few folks who made Uncivil Procedure possible. Nicholas Matijic, Sauna Recording Engineer. Sam Bach, Christy Esparza, and Professor Dan Wadelick were the masterminds behind some of the material. Tammy Yosasovic is our casting director. Carl Sandrol created our theme music. Gus Tsitsakis created our visual brand. Brendan Ryan is our podcast creator and executive producer. Sean Gaines is our podcast marketing overlord. And I'm Anna Srunian, your David Horgan Wrangler, and we'll see you next time on Uncivil Procedure. 